Hi, I'm Ben Lowell, and welcome to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. Uh, John, we're going to be continuing your series, Celebrating the Word, today, and you're going to be talking about four different ways in which the Word of God speaks to us. Yeah, um, the way in which God speaks is in four different ways, uh, but I'm going to also want to talk about, you know, what do we mean when we say the Word of God? Because that phrase gets thrown about all the time. Yeah. What is it actually that we're saying? Good stuff. Well, we're looking forward to hearing that, and John will be with us in just a minute. And also, we're going to be having Isaac Dagno out on the street again today, asking how God speaks to people or how people perceive God speaking to them in just a moment. So join us right here on Truth and Life Today. Hey, it's Isaac here from Truth and Life Today. I'm here in beautiful Mill Lake in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia to ask random people about their thoughts on what it means that the Bible is the word of God. So let's go check it out. So what goes through your mind when Christians claim that God speaks to them through the Bible? Um, what goes through my mind is that uh, they believe very strongly in the Bible and uh, what the truth is of the, of the Bible. And uh, it probably does speak to them like uh, they maybe are more aware of things than other people are, and uh, for them, it works. I think it is because they want to believe that. Yeah, I would say that that's great. That should be the number one way that God does speak to you. So I would trust that over dreams, I guess, or feelings and intuition. So yeah, I'd say it's a great great place to start. I think that they must have a lot of faith in, uh, in the Bible and um, hopefully that they've read it enough so that when they actually do hear the Lord that they're actually exercising it properly as opposed to just going off of their own will. <laughs> I think that's what, yeah. So if you did believe that God exists, do you believe that this God speaks today? Not necessarily through the Bible, but just generally. Does he still or she still speak today? I think people who are very religious, if that you want to say. I think they believe that. I, like I said, I'm torn. I am not an atheist, but I just don't get the whole concept. And I, uh, I was a Roman Catholic, but with a lot of the things that is going on in the world today, do I want to blame someone? So I seem to think, well, God, why don't you fix all of this? Well, I, for me, I think it's an individual thing, um, you know, and I think probably gives a, a sense of peace and joy to a lot of people to have a really strong belief. Put the Bible aside for a moment, which is never a good thing, but does God speak or reveal himself in any other way? I would say he does. I would say you have to test it against scripture, uh, but there's no reason why he can't reveal himself to you in a dream or vision or through prophecy. Um, but if that, if those things uh, are against what scripture seems to be saying, then you got to stick to the Bible and what the Bible says. Hypothetically, I mean, I don't I have no idea about your own beliefs, but let's just say hypothetically, you went home today and you were 100% convinced that God was real and then he gave us a message and that message is in the Bible. How would you respond to that? Um, if I knew it was 100% true, then I'd be very happy. I'd, I'd probably have a lot of peace of mind probably be able to get to sleep at night real well knowing that. I better start going to church. <laughs> I don't know because I'm kind of, I'm not against that belief, but I can't believe it 100%. You know, it's just, it's like, 
I can't give you an answer because I, I really don't understand it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I would change. I would certainly change a few things if I totally believe that. Yeah, I'd make some changes in my life and uh, um, give it a lot more thought, yeah. We live in a world of words. I mean, everywhere you go, someone is talking. I don't know how you get up in the morning, but a lot of us wake up by our cell phone, and some of us have something recorded on our cell phone. So uh, maybe you wake up with a song and somebody is singing something into your ear. Words are being sung. I mean, everywhere we go, it's either a podcast, maybe it's a radio, maybe you have the television on wherever you go. I mean, regardless of what happens, words are there. Now, I spent a great deal of my life collecting books, and I've got a good many of them, but, you know, I, I, I came to realize that I could download a lot of that stuff, and I have far more information available to me than I ever thought was possible before. There is a mountain of words everywhere I look. And that's not only true, you know, in podcasts and on the internet, it's true in everyday conversations. Maybe at your work and your job and you have meetings that talk about what needs to happen next. You have a conversation with your neighbor over the backyard fence. You have a conversation around the kitchen table. I mean, wherever we are, somebody is talking. Now, I can't even begin to calculate the amount of words every one of us says every day and how many more each one of us hears or reads every single day. But I think all of us know that words have power and they have the ability to direct a human life. So let me use some examples. First of all, parents. They're talking to their kids all of the time because they're trying to create through their words a possible future for their child. Let me give you some other examples. Whenever it's political season, it's time for an election, you know, political parties always know that they want to get their message ahead of the news cycle. I mean, if they can shape the spin of things and create a narrative, individuals will talk and think along their narrative and they've got the advantage. Or how about this as an example? How many of you had your life shaped by a teacher, maybe in grade five, maybe it was in university or, or college, but what somebody said and the thoughts they communicated to you shaped your passion and the drive of your life for a lifetime. Let me use another example. Cultural elites have long known that the words that we use to describe certain things make a difference. Here's an easy example. Is that woman a prostitute or is she a sex trade worker? The way in which we think about her will determine how we react to her and also how we understand her place within culture. Cultural elites have understood that if we change the way in which we talk about things, we'll change the way in which we interact towards things. Words have power. Words, words, words. All around us, words and yet so powerful. Now in this cacophony of words, when I use the phrase word of God, it may seem to us that this is just simply more words in the whole large sea of words that we hear every single day. But let me suggest to you that the word of God is so unlike any other words that we hear that it's hard to even begin to compare it. What do I mean? Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, God's word has a living power in and of itself. It doesn't just predict the future, it creates the future. In fact, it is the very thing that causes things to be. Here's an example. We know that Genesis 1 verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks a word, and the thing that he speaks comes to be. That's the nature of God's word. Here's some other example. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of his mouth. God speaks into nothingness, and something comes to be simply because he speaks into that void. Listen to Psalm 24, 49. It says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. See, all of that's fascinating to me because when God speaks, there are not only the potentialities of action, but action comes to be because of his voice. In other words, God's voice and his power are intimately connected. They're the same thing. Whatever God says instantly comes into being. So what do we mean when we say the Bible is the word of God? Or for that matter, what do we mean when we talk about the Word of God? I'm going to want to portray a reality to us in which we come to understand that this idea that there is such a thing called the Word of God is so utterly fascinating that once we understand it, we'll come to see that the Word of God is unlike any other word that we have ever heard. When we're talking about the Word of God, we can actually talk about it in four different ways. And so let me suggest the first way we can talk about it. The Word of God can refer to God's direct communication when God is speaking directly. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 3. It's, uh, it's a part of a sermon that Moses gave. He's, he's on the plains of Moab. He's now an old man. He's about to die. And he's giving his final words to God's people. And he wants to tell them why Israel is so special. Listen to what he says. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Now, he's referring to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And you, you might recall, or if you don't know the account, let me tell it to you. 
Israel has gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. It's in the desert, it's howling wasteland, and they've been told to gather there because God is about to speak to them. And, and before God begins to speak, the mountain starts trembling, smoke is pouring out, the entire desert floor has an earthquake, and then they begin to hear the voice of God, and God begins to speak, and the words he speak are, speaks are the Ten Commandments. I mean, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol. Keep the Sabbath, remember to keep it, keep it holy. Honor your father and mother, all the other commands that you have. These words were heard by people as God spoke them directly. And all two million of them heard it at the same time. And here's what the Bible records as it was happening. Exodus 20, verse 19, the people say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not get, let God speak to us lest we die. You know, it must have been the experience that when people actually hear God speaking, that voice is so powerful that people think that their, their body is being torn from their soul. They don't think they're going to be able to survive the experience. Now, I think that's important for us to remember because I know in our world today, it's so easy for a number of individuals to say, well, the Lord said something to me, and then the next day it seems like the Lord said something that's the opposite of that, and then they forget and so forth. So let me say something here. If you ever heard God speaking to you directly, it would be a moment so profound that you would remember it with crystal clarity till the day you die. You, it would become the defining moment of your life. That's what the direct voice of God is like. So I wanna begin by saying that. And what's interesting about the giving of the Ten Commandments is God is able to speak in such a way that human beings can understand. That in itself is significant. And I say that because there are many philosophers today who will argue that human language is simply the product of human experiences and, and human thoughts. And that's why they say it's always imperfect. It can never express divine ideas. It can only express ideas about our thinking and our experiences. So if you think about it this way, you know, you have a thought or an experience and then somehow you want to take that thought or experience and encode that thought into words. And then you take those words and you communicate them to someone else, and then they hear that code that you speak to them, and they interpret it through their grid, and they try to understand what it is that you've said, and they may or they may not understand it. And most of the time, whatever understanding that we have is imperfect. And, and so some philosophers argue, because of all of this mess, language is imperfect by nature, and therefore, to talk about the Word of God is simply an impossibility. But here's a key. When God speaks, He speaks in such a way that we understand, because God not only speaks, but God created the listener. God created the mind of the listener. God created us in such a way that it's possible for us to hear God speak and to actually know what it is that he is saying. God not, over, not only oversees his communication, he also oversees the fact that we are made in his image to be able to understand him when he speaks. So, I begin by saying, listen, God sometimes speaks directly. But then I might add this. Sometimes God also speaks in this way. He communicates his thought through a prophet. In other words, he appoints someone to speak on his behalf. 
Now, that's most often the way in which God speaks. So let me give you an example of that. Uh, Moses has been called by God. He's standing at a burning bush out in the desert. And God says to him, you go to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses responds, look, I'm not very good at speaking. I mean, I stutter when I talk, I get mixed up, I, lots of stuff happens. I'm not a very good communicator of your word. Pick someone else. And then listen to how God responds. It's found in Exodus 7, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. In other words, Moses is going to be communicating with Aaron all of the time. And when the two of them actually stand before Pharaoh, Aaron's going to be the talk, talker. And, and Moses, however, is going to oversee that everything that Aaron says accurately reflects that which he wanted to communicate. And that's how the word prophet gets used in the Bible. When a true prophet of God speaks, that person communicates directly what it is that God wanted to say, but it comes through a human mouth so that we're not torn body from spirit. It's not such an incredibly disruptive experience to our lives. And we find that throughout the Bible. Jeremiah 1 verse 9, Jeremiah is called to be a prophet and it says, then the Lord put his hand on me and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put your words, I'm sorry, I have put my words into your mouth. So they're God's words and they're God's thoughts and they're God's intention, but they come through the mouth of a prophet. God not only speaks directly, he speaks through prophets. There are other ways he speaks as well. I've been talking about what the Word of God actually means, and I've said there are four ways that we can use the phrase Word of God accurately. One, we can talk about the Word of God when God speaks directly through communication directly to us. The second way that God can speak through a prophet, and now the third way, God can speak through his written word. God writes his words down. So I began by speaking about the Ten Commandments. God speaks directly to his people. And then the passage says, and I'm reading Exodus 31 verse 18, and says, he, that is God, gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So initially, the very first writing that anyone had that contained God's word came directly from the hand of God. It's a fascinating thought. I wouldn't have known what that would have looked like, but clearly it was written in such a way that human beings could read what was written. Now, we do know of that original tablet that God wrote, that Moses became so angry because of people's idolatry that he actually smashed those tablets. And then he was called upon to go and write another pair like them, and which is what he did. But think of the process that happens. First of all, God speaks. Then whatever he speaks gets written down. Now, it doesn't really matter if it's written in a, on a stone tablet or the, whether it's copied from a stone tablet to a, a piece of papyri. 
and then later to a piece of paper on a scroll, and then through electronic means is simply copied into a book. It doesn't matter how many times that you copy it, it still remains exactly that. It remains God's word. And so there really shouldn't be a distinction between that which God speaks verbally so that two million people will hear, or that which God speaks through the mouth of a prophet so that the people that are around will hear him, or that which is written on a piece of paper and gets copied and recopied and bought in a local bookstore or found on electronic medium. It still is precisely that. It's called the word of God. And that word is unlike every other word. But there are a number of advantages, and I wanna talk about that, of having a written word of God. See, the, the central premise is that God has spoken and that when he speaks and his words are recorded, you and I can not only read what's written, we can examine that, we can invite others to read it as well, we can look at it in its context, we can pry the grammar apart, we can examine it line for line, and we can attempt to understand it as it is. You see, when the word gets written down, it becomes the subject of inquiry, the subject of thought, and the basis for our faith. That is, if God has truly spoken, we know that that which he has spoken is recorded in such a way that generation after generation can look at that same word and examine it in full detail. So this is why the word of God is so important. Now, I haven't answered the question yet in terms of, I mean, why do we know that the Bible is in fact the word of God? Now, I'm gonna talk about that in a, in a future program, but for now, if it's true that the Bible is the word of God, then of all the books that the human race has, this book is unlike any other book because this book comes from the mouth of God. Now, I've said that there are four ways in which God speaks. I've said, first of all, that God can speak directly as he did at Mount Sinai. His voice is heard by two million people at the same time who are so terrified by what they hear that they think they're gonna be torn apart. The second way is that God can speak directly through a prophet and God instructs the prophet and oversees that so that everything the prophet says will accurately reflect what it is that God is saying. Thirdly, we said that God can take the word and make sure that it's written down so that future generations can examine it even if they weren't directly there to hear it. And here's the fourth way that the word of God comes to us. The word of God comes to us, says the Bible, in flesh. There was a time 2,000 years ago when the word became flesh and lived among us. And here's what we mean about Jesus. Jesus not only is the son of God, he is the word of God. He is the word of God incarnate, his very being is God's word. Jesus' flesh walking among us is the speech of God in which God has communicated himself to the human race. See, that's why the, the Christian faith is a faith about the word. We, we say from the outset that there is no difference between God and his word. See, some people sometimes will say, well, you guys are just you know, Bible-centered and you ought to be God-centered. And our response to that is, there's no distinction between God's speech and God himself. See, here's the problem that we sometimes have. Human beings will communicate lies and slander and all sorts of things, and sometimes it's not really that we're trying to deceive someone, it's just that we get our words garbled and we don't say what we really wanted to say, and then people misunderstand what it is we're trying to communicate. 
God never has those kind of shortcomings. When God speaks, it accurately reflects the very nature and character of God himself. The speech of God and God are never to be separated. And that's why when believers study scripture itself, we are studying God. It's a fascinating thing. You get your eyes on God by getting your nose in a text of scripture and understanding what its contents are and seeing how it communicates to you. And then you fall on your knees and cry glory for God is among us and has spoken his word. I mean, that's the breathtaking nature of what we mean when we talk about the word of God. Welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. Uh, John, uh, you did a, it was a marvelous message today. Uh, reminded me of so many different things. One of the things that you you mentioned though really came to mind when you were talking about Moses and his reaction in essence to the audible voice of God. And often people say, you know, God spoke to me. And I was thinking about it when you were talking. I was thinking, wow, wouldn't you be so overwhelmed by that experience that that something tangible would have happened? You would have seen it in people's face and in their countenance. I would want to encounter or encourage people to say something different than God spoke to me. Um, God, in his providential care, can arrange things in my life in such a way that I become aware of certain realities. But to speak about the speech of God, God audibly speaking, is to say something else. And my sense is we ought not to speak that way. I'm going to say that most believers, by far the majority, will have never heard the audible voice of God, even though there are a ton of people that claim it. I don't believe them for a second. However, if you spend your lifetime knowing the scripture, that's the most spiritual thing you can do because that is the voice of God. It's the word of God speaking to you. God spoke to me in the text of the word I study. Yeah, and don't you think people miss that so much? I mean, we're always going around wondering, what would God have me do? How would God have me live? Would God speak to me? Yeah. Give, give me direction about your will, and yet we avoid his word. Yeah, I mean, I mean, read the book of Proverbs and learn wisdom, yeah. and then learn wisdom in decision-making. And then, yes, it was the Lord that led you, through the wisdom that he taught you in the word. So, I mean, that's what the spiritual life is all about. We ought, you know, we have to stop chasing illusions and start chasing reality. Absolutely. Well, thanks, John. And uh, thanks for joining us today. And remember, join us again next week as we continue our series, uh, Celebrating the Word with Dr. John Newfeld, right here on Truth and Life Today. <music> 